The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. Welcome to those of you joining online. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 8. We'll finish up what has been an incredible chapter. Um, This is uh, Red Dog's favorite time of year. And for those of you who are first time here, Red Dog is my bloodhound. And he specializes in... uh, recovering wounded animals. And if you want to have friends in the hunting uh, world and around, just get you a dog that tracks wounded deer. I just got a text and it's like, may need your dog. <laughs> and so somebody has been out. I said, you may need to be in church. <laughs> so anyway, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, th- not kidding about the call though, but it, it, it's, a, it's a good time of year for him. He's excited. It's exhausting for me to do because I'm trying to hunt and then it just like he's like holding on to a little miniature pony going through the woods and you just go where he goes. And so we have a couple of calls to go try to help some guys out today and hopefully they'll 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 uh, it'll work out for him. But sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it seems like everything goes against you, um, whether it be in a situation like that or it be in life itself. You wake up in the morning and um, you go out to leave for work to make an important appointment and the car won't start. Or like somebody in first service who was telling me they were somewhere this morning and their car was gone. <laughs> their, their car got stolen. Uh, yeah, and so that's not, that's not a good day at all um, where you just feel like things, man, it doesn't matter what you do, it just feels like everything is going against you. And that can get you really, really discouraged and sometimes makes you feel like you wish you just had some kind of superpower, right, where you could overcome the situation that you're facing. And uh, Paul, he has an encouraging word for us today, and I'm thankful for that because we've been in Romans for quite a while now in this Believe series, and we started there in the first few chapters. Man, they have a lot of heavy, mater- a lot of heavy stuff going on, talking about the wrath of God and, and how God will give people over, and you're just like, whoo, man, let me get through some of that good news stuff, man. Um, and Paul does that intentionally is because we're in order for us to really understand how good the good news is. We understand there is some bad news out there as well. But today, um, I want to encourage you in the Lord and, and tell you that it's all good today, all right? It's just a good, encouraging word from the Apostle Paul. And I hope you're as fortunate as the early service. Um, we finished, I think it was my record time, shortest sermon ever. ever. Everybody said? I'll just go as long as I want then. (laughs) And so uh, anyway, we jump in here in um, Romans chapter 8, and Paul has this encouraging word that he's he's writing to the believers there in Rome in this church, and it was an incredible church, and it it just so happens that he didn't know and they didn't know, and this is how, again, we can see how inspired of the Holy Spirit the word is is that soon they would need what he has written in chapter 8 more in more ways than they, they could comprehend. Um, during um, this period of history, soon after the writing of, of this letter to the Roman church, the Christians would endure incredible persecution, uh, so much so that they um, used many of the believers for entertainment. They would take them and uh, put them in the Colosseum and maybe put a lamb's um, skin on them and put a little bit of blood on it and let the lions and tigers out as the uh, crowd cheered and watched them eaten alive. 
sometimes they would put some of the Christians in with the gladiators and they would just get executed uh, while the people were cheering. Even to the point that they were uh, being uh, persecuted so much so that um, some believers were dipped alive in hot oil um, and they would die and then they would um, put them and use them on poles to light the streets of Rome. Um, and so it was not a good time to be a Christian. So when you say you're suffering persecution, um, in one way it was a really cool time because they were seeing some the move of the Lord like the church was coming out of the ground in the early church. Nothing could stop it. Everything was trying to oppress it. And so here we are 2,000 years later and all the hell could throw at the church to try to stop it after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It could not be stopped. And that's what Jesus meant when he told um, the apostles that uh, the gates of hell will try to stop my, my ecclesia, my gathering of people, the body of Christ, the church, but it will not prevail against it. It will continue to move forward. And here we are um, continuing to move forward in, in our church as part of the body of Christ a couple of thousand years later. And uh, we're not suffering that kind of persecution, but we do um, go through discouraging times, especially as we're trying to live out our faith in this body that is still fallen and our soul has been redeemed and we're alive in Christ. And we struggle, as Paul said, um, in the flesh. We don't do what we want to do. We do what we don't want to do. We continue to engage in things we hate. You're like, what's wrong with us, man? Is that what's wrong with us is the body is in a fallen state and the soul has come alive in Christ, is born again, and that which was dead in their sins and trespasses has come alive because we've uh, been invited by Christ uh, to be a part of his kingdom. We've said yes to Jesus. Our sins have been forgiven, and as he said to Nicodemus, we are born again. We're raised to new life, but yet this body still exists, and we stumble, and we are trying to deal with some of the temptation that the enemy um, throws at us, and, and it can get discouraging when things aren't working out our way, and we feel like we're trying to do things for the kingdom, and, and here's a guy over here, man, he doesn't seem like he's doing anything for the kingdom, doesn't believe in Jesus, doesn't believe in God at all, and it just seems like everything's going great in his life, and sometimes we can look at that and go, man, I'm a little down, it feels like everything is against me, and Paul says, what then shall we say in response to these things? Now, what things is he talking about? Well, it is the things that we learned about last week. All things work out for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. It is that we know that the Spirit has us, and we have the Spirit, and there's been a work done in our lives. We're justified in Christ. And so he says, what shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And so the first takeaway is who can be against us? Like who can be against us? Sometimes we just need to hit pause as believers and think about things. We need to think about when we're feeling discouraged, when we're feeling down, when we're feeling like things aren't working out the way that we want. We need to hit pause and think, if God exists and he is for me, who can really be against me? Can, can that coworker at work that seems to be like uh, undermining everything that I'm trying to do, can they really be against me? Um, can, can somebody who um, you know, seems to be very, very vindictive on the kids' baseball team and uh, the way they function, can they really be against me? And we recognize that if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, sadly, we're our own worst enemies. 
Only we can be against us by forgetting that he is for us. That's a very challenging thing to do, is to always remember that God is for me. He is for me even in times where in my flesh I'm not experiencing what I would like to be experiencing, and it feels like I'm suffering. God is for me, and so who can be against me? But I sometimes forget that, and I need to hit pause and remember. If God gave his son, which is himself, the second person of of the Trinity, to save us, won't he also give us what we need to do what he wants us to do? That's what Paul is saying. He said, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And I'm reminded of a tool that we use sometimes in discipleship called um, the hexagon of prayer. It's a, it's a cool way to learn how to pray, and, 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 and we use, um, uh, it, it, it teaches uh, how to break down um, the Lord's Prayer. And in the Lord's Prayer, one of the things Jesus says, is, he says, when you pray, pray that um, our Father, like, give us this day our daily bread. And in studying that and kind of going in deeper, a statement to help us understand like a way to pray that is, I need this in order to do that. So when you're committed to the kingdom and your life is sold out for following Jesus, you still have a lot of things to do. Um, For me, you know, I make my living um, from serving in the, the local church. Uh, for many of you, or all of you, unless those of you are on staff, um, you make your living in other ways. And so you have to do things that um, maybe they're not specifically um, for the kingdom. And you need to be productive so that you can get your job done. And so you, uh, you can pray in a way that you can ask the Lord to give you things in order to do what he wants you to do. So I learned this principle um, early on in my life when I was, I started college in 23, when I was 23. Uh, so I didn't, like I was not headed toward um, uh, any kind of formal education whatsoever. And when I met Jesus, things changed in my life when I really sold out uh, to him and committed my life to him. And so the call to preach, I, I went and to, to a Bible college, small school, I was 23 years old, and I loved basketball at the time. And really, I went to school like I didn't feel like I needed to go to school to learn how to preach. Man, the Lord had already shown me how to preach. I just needed to go to play basketball, <laughs> right? And there was a small school, and I could play. I would I would have been able to play at this school, non-scholarship school. And uh, and so I, I like man, I, like the Lord used that and 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 got me there at that school and. And I was um, working full time. I had a lot of obligations at the time because I was 23. Had already made some financial decisions that I was responsible for, and so um, I needed to work a full time job. And I was working in a grocery warehouse at the time. It was a, uh, in a, the Teamsters Union that paid a pretty good hourly wage for a guy my age. So I was doing all right, but I needed to to keep uh, that job and go to school. And fortunately, uh, for the first uh, a year or so, I was able to do that. And I worked uh, from 6 o'clock in the morning till 2.30 in the afternoon. And then I would drive straight down to the school, which was about half an hour away from where I worked. I would take a shower to get ready to start basketball practice at 3.30. And we would practice from 3.30 to 5.30. I'd take another shower at 5.30 and go to uh, grab something to eat there in the cafeteria and then start class around 6 and be finished around 8.30. At that time, I was madly in love with your mother, Zoe. And so I had to go see her. And I would go over to her school. She went to a different Christian um, uh, school. And I would hang out with her, which I would try to get out of there like um, 
earlier, but I never would because we were just in love, right? And I would get home by 11.30, and if it was a good night, I would get in bed by 12 and have to get up at 5 o'clock the next morning and do it all over again. And had to study for exams during all that time and had to continue to read the Word and feed myself spiritually and make sure that I was in the Word and walking with the Lord and doing the things to develop my own faith. And so I would pray, man, at night. I would pray, Lord, like you know what I'm trying to do. You know how I've given my life to you. I'm trying to prepare myself. And, 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 and so I need you to take this five hours of sleep that I'm going to get tonight and make it feel like eight hours. And he would. I'd wake up every morning, and men, I would just feel refreshed, and I would get in the Word, and I'd have my time with the Lord, and I'd go to work, and I did that for an entire semester. And then I quit playing basketball after that. I was like, I'm done with that, right? Um, and so uh, the, the, uh, the, the, what, what I learned in that is that there were times I would be tempted to maybe I don't, I don't have time to be in the Word and like, feasting on the word. And I believe, man, my rhythm for me, what has worked for me, how I've learned so much about following the Lord and, and, and teaching people how to do that has been, my rhythm has been, man, I, I try to get in the word every day. And I have a time that I talk to the Lord every day. And, um, and, and even if it's just a few minutes. Now, fortunately, now um, that I'm doing it professionally, teaching other people, I have more time to do that. But I was doing that long before I ever was in ministry, okay? And I, I, there would be times where I would be tempted, well, I don't have time to be in the Word because I need to be studying for this humanities exam. Or I need to be, you know, preparing for X, Y, Z, right? W whatever in class. And I would just say, man, like, if, if this is true... He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If I will commit to the things that will develop me spiritually, God will supernaturally make me more productive in areas that don't have anything to do with the kingdom. For in, What I'm saying is, if my life is consumed about my kingdom, I cannot expect to reap from the law of reproductivity in his kingdom. But if my life is consumed for his kingdom, then he will take care of the things that I need for my kingdom to function as long as I'm investing in his kingdom. And so you can't get that backwards. You can't get so focused on, well, I'm going to ask, like, I'm, I, it's really about my kingdom, and I'm going to try to stamp Jesus on it. No, it has to be about his kingdom, doing the things that are going to shape you spiritually, learning to rest in him. Jesus said that if you do not, if you abide in me, you will bear fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. And so what is that abide? It is to remain, the Greek word mino, to remain, hang out, tarry, spend some time connecting with the Lord. Spend some time in the Word. Spend some time praying and talking to the Lord, and He will help you produce all the fruit that you need to produce in His kingdom, and along the way, He will take care of your kingdom too. And I've found that to be true all the way up to today, and I've just... That's the way I live my life is I just, that's really how I ended up in ministry is the Lord wanted me to start teaching other people how, what I was doing to follow him and, and how I'm learning from the word. And, and I started leading people in that same journey. And so it's a really encouraging thing to think about, man, if God is for me and he is going to supply for me, um, he will give me everything that I need in order that I'm focused on what his will is. And even to the point that last week we learned that the spirit himself will groan inside of us with, with inexpressible groanings, things that you can't put into words, 
the things that, are, that he wants to bring about according to God's will here uh, on the planet. And so I have to remind myself of that often. <laughs> How often do you have to remind yourself of that, Jimmy? All the time, every day, throughout the day, as soon as this morning, before I came to church, I'm constantly reminding myself. If God is for me, who can be against me? And I'm constantly reminding myself when my attitude is not in line with the things of the kingdom, when it starts to get in line with my kingdom instead of his kingdom. So constantly, I'm reminding myself of that, and I would encourage you to do the same thing. If God is for you, who can be against you? But sometimes I feel shame for forgetting. You're like, what am I thinking? Why was I thinking like that? Why? Look, I know the Lord would, man, you've been so faithful to me, Lord, over all the years. And sometimes when it happens is when I really get a little worried and get a little shook up about how something's going to work out. And I let it rattle me. And then the Lord comes through, man, and he does exceedingly beyond anything I could ever imagine or think, as Paul says he will do. And I'm like, what? why was I even worried about that? I've seen the Lord do this so many times in my life. So sometimes when I do that, I feel a little bit of shame in that moment for forgetting that God is for me. So Paul says, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who can condemn us? If we know Christ and we are walking in relationship with Christ, and Jesus, in fact, was God in the flesh who died in our stead, he died our death to give us his life, then who can condemn me? What am I doing condemning myself? And what are you doing condemning yourself when the creator of the universe says no one can condemn the people that he's chosen? That's good news. Um, we are chosen of the Lord. Therefore, we learned a couple of weeks ago that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we need to recognize when we are condemning ourselves, even when we um, do something we, we, we feel a little bit of shame in, and we can use that to repent, but we should not use it to condemn ourselves, nor should we condemn those around us. Now, why do we struggle with that? Because we live in a world that is a spiritual world, and we are captivated by our physical eyes, but we must be reminded, as Paul said, we walk by faith and not by sight. So when we look at things spiritually, we can recognize, so easy to recognize there is a spiritual order to things. There is an, a real presence of evil that exists in this world. And anytime you talk about it, it feels a little bit unacademic to even talk about a real devil. But Jesus was never worried about being academic or non-academic. What he was worried about was truth. And the truth of the matter is, is there is a real devil. And he is an accuser. And there is an evil in this world that comes against the brethren of Christ and accuses them of, of things going on in their lives and makes them feel shame. He attempted to, uh, uh, well, we know he uh, accused Job when we read in, in that story. And we know that he is called an accuser. And so one, sometimes he will whisper lies to us, and we will listen to them, and we will hear this, this lie coming from somewhere, and he will use other things in and around us. And we have to recognize that is not the voice of God, and that is not something we should be listening to. This is why Jesus said in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice, they listen and they follow, and his voice does not condemn. 
So anytime you're feeling condemnation, you are not hearing the voice of God. You are either hearing the voice of other people, or you are hearing the voice of the enemy himself, or the loudest and most influential voice that you will hear that is condemning is your own. And that's what you got to guard against, because you will condemn yourself. And according to this, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And I would even go as far to say that when we are condemning ourselves, <laughs> and we're, when we're walking with the Lord and we're condemning ourselves, I believe we're walking in sin because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Now, should we feel some guilt over stumbling and sinning? Yes, but we should repent and believe. Not repent and condemn. We repent and believe and move forward in where the Lord is calling us. The, the, the cool thing about all of this is, is that he whispers to us, and sometimes he gets us to trip up and stumble. But if he were to whisper to God, then Jesus intercedes. Jesus is at the right hand of God in resurrected form. They say, well, I thought you said Jesus was God. Jesus is God. There's God the Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We call it the Trinity, a triune God. There's three distinct personalities that make up one God. I cannot explain that to you. I, I can't. All I can tell you is this is taught in Scripture, and I can see it. Jesus is, is, is every bit as much of God as God the Father in the Old Testament is and God the Holy Spirit who lives in me right now. And one day we will see him, and we shall be like him, John says, um, when we see him. And he will, in the twinkling of an eye, even change us into something like what he is. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to be gods. We will always be in worship of him. He will always be God. But when we look at what is being taught here is that um, the God the Son, who is the one who physically came to the planet, if the enemy were to accuse us, he would be like, whoa, whoa, hold up. That one right there, Holbrook belongs to me. And you can just sit down and shut your mouth because there is no accusation you can make. Now, here's what's beautiful about that. Why would Jesus <laughs> look at me, little insignificant dude here walking around on the planet, and stand up in my stead? Because I believe in Jesus. And when the accuser makes an accusation about me, he is saying that Jesus, what he did on the cross of Calvary, did not pay for what I am. And so he's really accusing Jesus because Jesus is actually in me through the power of the Holy Spirit. We go back to that triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells in me. So God the Father in the Old Testament is speaking all of these ways to follow God and to learn about God. God the Spirit or God the uh, Son comes to the planet in physical form. He's fully God. He's fully man. And so Jesus is God in the flesh. He dies in my stead. So he dies my death, rises from the dead because he did not sin, because he was God, and he, um, he was able to overcome the temptation of the flesh and the act accusations of the enemy. And so since he is innocent and he dies a guilty person's death, all of my sin can now be laid on him. And so he dies my death and gives me his life. And anytime the accuser makes an accusation against me, he's literally making it about Jesus. And that's not going to fly. And that's good news. That is the gospel. And I need to hear that and I need to be reminded of that. And part of my sanctification and part of your sanctification is learning to live in that freedom. Is learning to live. If God is for me, who can be against me? 
Who can condemn me? You say, well, what if we sin and blow it miserably? What if I stumble so bad, like, and I just keep blowing it? Does God get mad at me? Does he go silent and make me feel alone? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 38 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Who can separate us? No one. No one can separate us. No one, no thing, no one can separate me from his love. You're facing some hardship or trouble today. You're not separated. The economy gets so bad that we feel like we cannot afford food and clothes as it seems to be headed in that direction. You're not separated. Crime gets so bad that life gets dangerous. You're not separated. People take advantage of you like sheep to be slaughtered. You're not separated. Life or death death situation. You're not separated. An angel from heaven or a demon from hell cannot separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing today nor anything tomorrow can separate me. Nothing created can separate the chosen in Christ from the creator. That's good news, man. And so, like, I need to rest in that, and I need to go, man, I belong to the Lord. I'm going to walk with the Lord. Uh, The Lord is going to provide for me. Who can be against me when God is for me, and he will provide anything that I need for uh, accomplishing the things in my life as long as I'm focused on his kingdom? Everything else is secondary. If you make the gospel secondary in your life, you cannot expect God to provide the things for you to do because you're not growing the things for you to do in his kingdom. Because you're not growing, you've got to surrender. If you love your life more than uh, you do him, he said, if you love me more than you do your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, you cannot be my disciple. What does he mean by that? He doesn't mean, again, in another uh, gospel, he says, you have to hate your mother or brother. And that's just a way that the Jewish language or the uh, the language that the scripture was written in um, It was a cultural reference to, look, you have to love me more than you do anything. And when you come to that place, he's saying, I'll take care of everything else. But if you're trying to take care of everything else and then on the fly trying to throw a little love into me, he's like, I'm not into that kind of marriage. You're my bride and I want all of you, not some of you. And so like he's asking for, so when we live in that way, now we can't, we live in that way, he's saying, I will provide for you. And, 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 and we walk that out, man, we, we start to look at, who can be against me? <laughs> Why would I not live this way? Why would I not, if I believe that Jesus is coming back and I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, why would I not live as, ev- as if everything in my life is about his kingdom and not my kingdom? That's when the gospel starts to really come alive for you, is you're learning how to walk out your freedom in Christ. And when you do that, man, you recognize, man, who can be against me? Who can condemn me? Who can separate me? He says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors comes from the Greek word, um, hupernikao, and it means super conquerors, surpassing victory. And that's encouraging. And so my my big idea for you today 
is we aren't superheroes, but we are super conquerors. We've got all that we need in order to accomplish what it is that he called us to accomplish. We are not protected or insulated from all types of attacks. We are not protected or insulated from suffering in this world. We are not protected or insulated from persecution. We face all of these things, but we wrestle with them as um, super conquerors, and we are victorious even if they dip us in wax and burn us for lights on the street at night. We are super conquerors. Nothing in this world can touch us because we belong to the Lord. Now, when you live, when you get that, man, boom, and the lights come on, it will radically alter your life. The business that you have will start to be about the kingdom and not, it'll be about his kingdom and not your kingdom. Um, The kids that you have will be about his kingdom and not your kingdom. You will not begin to think about what is best for everything and the road and preparing them all for the future of what they'll do. You'll start preparing them to be all that Jesus wants them to be. And so it's not about this world. Success is not about what this world can give us. Success is not about the American dream. We don't even know if America will be around in 50 years. Success is about following the God of the universe, the the one who created us. And regardless of whether we have plenty or we have nothing, if God is for us, who could be against us? And we are not superheroes, but we are super conquerors. No thing in this world can defeat us and defeat what God has done in me. Now, today, the kids are learning, as they have been for quite some time, about repentance. So if you have kids downstairs, um, you want to talk to them this week about repentance, and they're learning about a cool dude. The bro's name is John the Baptist. He was a cousin of Jesus. He was born three months prior to Jesus. God had not raised up a prophet in 400 years. When we say a prophet like that, what do we mean? We mean one of the prophets that was used to write something in the Old Testament. And God would raise one of these prophets up every so often, and they would be able to do things that nobody else could do, and God would authenticate their message in some way, shape, or form, and they would bring the Word of God to the people of God. And there are not a lot of them. Over the course of thousands of years, there's not that many. But for 400 years, God goes silent. There's not one. But the last ones that were writing things, they would prophesy things, about, prophesy things about one who would come who would prepare the way of the Messiah. So there would be a prophet who would come. And so all of a sudden, John the Baptist is born, man. And this dude is radical. He doesn't live in town with everybody else. He moves out in the wilderness, and he wears clothing made of camel's hair, which is not very comfortable. And he eats locusts and wild honey. And the people leave the town to come to him. And he's preaching to them, and he's preaching repentance. What is repentance? It is change your mind about the way you are thinking. Change your mind about the way you are living. You're thinking this way, think that way. You got it all wrong over here. Repent. And so he's he's preaching this message of repentance to prepare the way for Jesus, who would soon come on the scene. And the Pharisees go out to investigate. And the Pharisees, you see, are people in that culture who had authority. Um, They could say a few things and you could be excommunicated from the Jewish community. What's that mean? That means you, you couldn't work. 
You couldn't buy and trade with other people. They would quit doing business with you. You, you owned a business. Maybe you sold something in town. If the Pharisees said, do, have nothing to do with that person, then people would quit buying from you. You would be ostracized from the community. So they had some major power. And so they go out to check out old John the Baptist out in the wilderness because so many people were going out to check out him. And, and so they represented a form of religion that you were trying to earn your way into the favor of God and trying to fulfill the law of God, which we've learned that Paul has showed us that you, nobody can fulfill the law of God. It's, it's perfect and holy, and only Jesus is the one who could walk it out and fulfill it. Now, does that mean that we shouldn't listen to what it teaches? No, we should. But it's designed to teach us that we need to believe in faith that God will save us from our offense of the law. And so, so they were trying to practice it. They were trying to perform it. And they come out to look at John the Baptist and he's preaching this, this message of repentance and he looks at these dudes and he calls at them in a loud voice in his camel-haired coat and having eaten locusts and wild honey. Man, it's like, this is a dude I'd like to meet. Repent, you brood of vipers. He had zero fear from the guys. Who, you couldn't excommunicate him. He already belonged to the Lord, and there was nobody who could be against him. There was nobody who could separate him, and there was nobody who could condemn him because he belonged to the Lord. And, and so, man, that's, that's the kind of life that we want to live where nobody owns us. The students in school don't own you and can't tell you how to live. You are owned by Jesus, and you just let them look at you and shine as God provides everything you need in order to do that for which he wants you to do. John the Baptist stood out because he believed what God said. And if you will believe what God says, you too will stand out. Not as a weirdo, but it's just as one who has this life together because you are in relationship with the creator of the universe. So he knew that they couldn't stand against him because God was for him. And so here's what we're going to do. We get ready to take communion. I'm going to count to three. And on three, I want you to say, like, who can be against us? And don't you leave me hanging. If you leave me hanging, you cannot come back to church ever again. Okay? I mean, I'm not talking about who can be against us. All right, on three. One, two, three. Who can be against us? No one. <laughs> no one. And that's good news, man. You walk out of this place and you believe that. And as we partake of communion this morning and we reflect on the body of Christ that was given, we, nobody can be against me. Nobody can condemn me. Nobody can separate me from the love of Christ because I belong to him. And as you partake of that juice and you, it, it washes down your throat, just know, man, it is the blood of Christ that takes away your sin. It's not your performance of the law. It is your belief in Jesus. You just believe in Jesus and your sins are washed away and nobody can be against you. Nobody can condemn you and nobody can separate you because you believe in Jesus. <laughs> that is the gospel.
I'm encouraged by that. I'm going to ask you to bow in a spirit of prayer. And before I lead us, I want you to meditate. I'm going to read this same passage of Scripture out of a paraphrase from Eugene Peterson's The Message. He just writes it kind of in everyday language. And I want you to rest in this. Rest in this verse. Rest in this passage. And own it for yourself before you partake of communion. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even to point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to lie for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's life, love for us? There is no way. No trouble, no hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. They kill us in cold blood because they hate you. We're sitting ducks. They pick us off one by one. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, Thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the good news of the gospel. Oh, Lord, how freeing it is to know the truth and to have been set free from it. And as we partake of communion, we remember, Lord, what you did for us on the cross of Calvary. We rejoice in the resurrection, Lord, and we believe in your return to claim the world for yourselves and that we are part of that kingdom. If there's someone who doesn't know you here today, Lord, may today be the day where they get hungry enough for righteousness that they understand how to be filled on you. May they have the courage to reach out and ask, what does it really mean to believe in Jesus? We love you. We thank you and pray these things in Christ's name and amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.